Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top Podcast. This is episode 359 for the 22nd of Cheshvan in a leap year. Today is going to be somewhat of a feminist-oriented uh, episode, and we're going to be dispelling some myth, some myths that people might have regarding Judaism and the inferiority of women. And in fact, as we'll see, there's something very powerful about the feminine power about women in general and, uh, you know, in a literal sense, and also about uh, the feminine energy in specific and how this manifests in terms of the Torah and in terms of our relationship with God. So let's start off this discussion by thinking about the the conception and birth of a child and the roles that the, the male and the female play in this, the mother and the father. So on first glance, when you think about it, then, okay, so the, the father, what does he contribute? He contributes the sperm, the initial seed, which appears to be kind of like the most essential part of the baby. And then the mother, what does she do? She takes that seed and she and it gets implanted in her womb, in her uterus, and it develops there, which is a big thing. And we don't want to minimize that at all, obviously. You know, it's a big thing. The woman is carrying around this seed that turns into a fetus and eventually a baby for nine months. And it's a very big job. But it kind of seems, appears at first glance, at least superficially, that all she's doing is she's taking this seed and she's developing the seed. So she's not really contributing anything of her own. But in fact, according to Kabbalah, she actually is contributing something very great of her own. And she's actually, without the, without the mother, the seed would not be enough. There's something more going on there. She's actually developing the child on an even deeper level and uh, on a, a much more powerful level that's even higher than the male. The parallel to all of this, to this discussion in terms of Torah is interestingly in the study of Torah itself. So we know, and we've, we've spoken about this several times, that uh, that there, there's the written Torah and then there's the oral Torah. Like the written Torah is like the five books of Moses and the Nevi'im, the prophets and the writings and all of that. And then there's the oral Torah, which is the Mishnah, the Gemara, all that kind of stuff. And in Hasidic and Kabbalistic literature, the written Torah is associated with being masculine. It's actually called the father and the oral Torah is actually called the mother. It's uh, it's the feminine part. So again, at first glance, just similar to this uh, this illustration of the the conception and birth of a child. At first glance, when we look at the relationship between the oral Torah and the written Torah, it seems that the oral Torah, the sole purpose of the oral Torah, is there to elucidate upon the written Torah 
when in fact, as we'll learn today, there's actually the, the role of the oral Torah is actually something much greater than that. And in learning the oral Torah, we're not just learning uh, explanations and commentary on the written Torah, which of course is true. And that is definitely a necessary, why it's so necessary and why you can't just learn the written Torah without the oral Torah on its own. The oral Torah has another advantage in that it actually taps into something even higher than that. What could be higher than the written Torah? Well, if we understand that the written Torah is God's wisdom, so as we've already mentioned in several places in this podcast, what is above wisdom? Above wisdom is the power of will. And so that power of will, as we've been talking about, God's will is manifest through his commandments, is manifest through the laws of the Torah. So thus, when we learn the oral Torah, specific, it's specifically the laws that are found within the oral Torah that allow us to tap into this will of God. Because the oral Torah actually contains many things. It contains stories and interpretations of the written Torah, like I mentioned, like kind of like the behind the scenes of things like that. But then a good portion of the oral Torah is the laws of the Torah. And those laws of the Torah are not merely just there to serve as elaborations and explanations of the written Torah, but they're actually there to tap into something much deeper to bring out the will of God. So this is connected to this idea of, again, this somewhat superiority, this, this special power that the woman has, both on a very simple level and on a spiritual level, to actually bring something out of the man that he's not able to do on his own. She can bring out his potential. So the oral law, specifically the laws that are in, in the oral law, uh, it has this potential to bring out God, who is our husband's will. So the Altar Rebbe begins this section that we're, that we're going to be learning today. And, uh, and for context, again, we're, we're going to be learning the end of Epistle 29 in Yeras HaKodesh. And so the Altar Rebbe begins by, by telling us that God's will, as manifest, as we already learned, through the 613 commandments of the Torah, is found in the written Torah, but it's found there in a very concealed way. Uh, and the only way that this will can become revealed is through the oral Torah. So on a very basic understanding of this, this is sort of like, uh, you know, um, one of the proofs that many rabbis bring for the truth of the oral Torah or for the existence of the oral Torah and that it wasn't just the written Torah given without anything, but in fact, the written Torah was given to us along with the oral Torah is that uh, you, you look at many places within the Torah itself where it talks about things that we need to do, but they're written in a very cryptic fashion and they seem to be alluding pretty explicitly to commentary elsewhere. So a big example for this is the tefillin, where it says about the tefillin, like we're, we're, the, the, the source of the mitzvah of doing tefillin is in the written Torah, um, where it says that, that you should bind them for a sign on your eye, on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. That's from Devarim chapter six, verse eight. So it's very obscure, right? Like now we know that it means tefillin. Everybody takes it for granted. We say that in Shema, we're talking about tefillin. But it's it, all it says in the Torah, it says you should you should bind them. What's the them? What is this them? <laughs> it's it's a very obscure statement, right? Uh, the Torah doesn't say what to bind, how to bind, what does between the eyes mean? What does on your hands mean? Like the hand does it mean the, the, the arm? Does it mean the finger? Like what is this, right? So the oral Torah gets into all of this. The oral Torah talks about it. it there's a lot of explanations about the, the tefillin. It says that you need a single box 
and then on, on the hand, and then there's four boxes on the head that have four scriptural pa- passages to them. And it, the oral Torah teaches us that these tefillin need to be made out of leather, uh, and that the leather's straps need to be black. And there's all kinds of different teachings regarding this tefillin that are written that are in that are found in the oral Torah specifically they're not written in the written Torah also another thing in regards to this is when it says your hand it's actually talking about your arm it's not talking about like the palm of your hand but it's actually talking about your arm Um, when it says between your eyes it's talking about your scalp it's not talking about your forehead and so this is one example this is a very uh, obvious example is the example of tefillin that we can see very clearly in the scripture that there's an illusion to an, the oral Torah. It's the, we read it in the scripture, we see it's very abstract and there's gotta be more there. It's like, that's that was like a code to teach us like, hey, this is kind of like the cliff notes, but there's more to what's written here that's found in the oral Torah. And this is true, not just for Tillin, but it's actually for all the commandments that are found in the Torah, whether we're talking about positive commandments or whether we're talking about negative commandments. Uh, the only way that we can understand these commandments is by learning the oral Torah. The oral Torah is an essential part of the written Torah. Like on Mount Sinai, just to reiterate it over again and again and again, when we say that we receive Torah on Mount Sinai, we don't just mean the written Torah. We mean the oral Torah as well. And there are two halves of the same coin, so to speak. Um, now, so that so tefillin is an example of a positive precept, a positive commandment where we see this. Uh, now the ultra of it brings a, an example of a negative commandment, meaning a prohibition. And that has to do with Shabbos. So similarly with Shabbos, where it ta- all it says about Shabbos in the Torah is it says, Lota This is found both in Shemot and in Devarim. So in Shemot, it's found in uh, chapter 20, verse 10, and Devarim, verse 16, um, chapter 16, verse 8, which lota semalacha means do not do work. And it doesn't say what work means, right? And a lot of people who kind of like don't disregard the oral Torah take this in a very literal way. And they say, oh, well, work, that means I could just sit around and I could watch TV or play video games, right? Those of us with a little bit more knowledge know that this isn't the case and that in fact, both watching TV and playing video games on Shabbos are in fact, considered to be work. And in fact, a lot of other things that we might actually think of as quote unquote work aren't necessarily work. Like waking up really early in the morning to go to show really early, right? Or moving a couch out of the way in order to make room for a table for a Shabbos in order to have a Shabbos meal. Like that's not necessarily work, right? Even if the couch is pretty heavy. Um, Right, so so it's not, like when we say work, it's very vague when it says that in the Torah. So we need, again, here's an example, just like with the tefillin, we need the oral Torah there. We need the oral Torah to help us understand what this is, what, what is meant by work. And, and in fact, we find that in the oral Torah, uh, it talks about this, it's, it specifies that there are 39 malachas, 39 like forms of work, um, and uh, and it's not just a reference to carrying stones or heavy beams, which is, um, this is in fact, um, carrying stones or heavy beams is in fact considered a rabbinical prohibition. So you're not allowed to do that on Shabbos. But interestingly, it's a rabbinical prohibition, but it doesn't fall under the category of the Torah prohibition of work. The Torah prohibition of work is those 39 malachas, 39 categories of work, which are only spelled out in the oral Torah. 
so even though they're only spelt out in the oral Torah, they're still considered to be Torah commandments, not rabbinical commandments. And so the altar Rebbe says that this is true of all the commandments. So he talks about tefillin as a positive commandment. He talks about Shabbos as a prohibition and negative commandments. But the truth is, this is true for all the commandments, whether they're positive commandments, prohibitions. Um, all of these things are, uh, are, are found in a very... Uh, concealed way, and they're only revealed through the oral Torah. We need the oral Torah in order to understand them. And this is why, now this is where it gets into the feminine and masculine part of the episode today, is that we see that um, according to the Zohar, the Zohar is a very interesting take on a, on a, um, a citation from Mishlei chapter 1 verse 8, which says, Al titosh torat imecha which literally means, and you should not cast off the teachings of your mother. So this sounds like, you know, it's a good lesson in life. Like if your mother taught you things in your childhood, chances are she knew what she was talking about. So you should remember these things throughout your life. And indeed, there is a lot of truth to that very basic idea, right? Um, but, but also, this is meant to be a mashal. This is meant to be a parable. Because we can think about this, like, again, when we, when we think about the anatomically, when we think about a, a child being born, the child is comprised of the sperm of the father, right? And then the mother brings it out into a state of being. It, it reveals it. It develops the child um, until the point that the child is made up of, it's a complete child made up of 248 organs and 365 sinews. And so this is exactly how it works. So we know, again, and it's a really apt um, parable parable, the this parable of a baby or a child, because the 248 organs and 365 sinews, as we've learned in elsewhere, parallel the commandments. There's 248 positive commandments and 365 prohibitions. And these uh, and, and so, and just like the mother physically is the one in the terms of the birth of a child that develops the child to, to have these organs and sinews. So too, when it comes to the metaphorical mother, which is the oral law, the oral law, uh, this metaphorical mother is the one that develops these laws, these, these, um, these 248 mitzvahs, uh, mitzvahs ase, positive commandments and 365 negative commandments. Uh, and and this and whereas so by contrast so that now we know that, that that's what's meant by the mother when it says don't uh, go away from the teachings of your mother it's specifically talking about the oral law whereas we know that there's another verse where it says Shma uh, bni musar avicha that's also from Mishlei chapter one verse eight and it literally means heed my son the admonition of your father so okay we have to we don't push aside the teachings of our mother and we should also listen to our fathers so that's true right and <laughs> just on a very literal level but the allusion here in this more spiritual way is that this father part is an allusion to the written torah because why because the written torah originates from chokhmah which is called father from the wisdom aspect whereas the the oral torah comes from bina which is the mother understanding it's more elaborate right and so now we can understand this thing there's a very famous verse uh, which is actually the basis of a song that we sing every shalvis this is a verse from mishlei chapter 12 verse 4 um, where this verse talks about the that the woman of valor is the crown for her husband. So what does this mean? Or that she surrounds her husband, another way. So if we think about it in this way, the the woman of valor is the oral Torah, and the her husband 
that her husband is the written Torah. And why is it that she crowns her husband or surrounds her husband? So now we're going to understand this idea of this idea of the of the crown, right? But first, we're going to delve a little bit more into this idea of the woman of valor. It could have just said woman, right? Why a woman of valor? It's just chayil. So it's a woman of valor. It's related to this uh, chayil means like a like a, a a soldier. So she's a woman that gives birth and raises raises many legions. So uh, and it's related to this idea that's this uh, citation that comes from Shira Shiram chapter six, verse eight. That maidens without number. So and this word maidens alamot. Uh, it's like a little bit of a play on word. It also means olamot worlds. So in these worlds are an allusion to the halachos, to the different laws that are without number. So it talks about this in the Tikkunei Zohar, in Kabbalah, that these... Um that these worlds, these manifold worlds, which are also kind of like maidens, so again, it's this feminine aspect, are countless, and uh, and and these are the laws. These are the 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 laws of the Torah, and all of these are manifestations of Hashem's will, which is hidden in the written Torah. And so now, going back to this idea of the crown, so now, so we understand now, so the woman of valor, so now we know it's a woman of valor, it's a woman, is that's the oral, to- oral Torah. Valor is because it gives birth to many, many legions. So valor is this idea of like a soldier that just give kind of, there's, um, there's this aspect of like, just like many legions to it. So many different laws surrounds her husband. Her husband is the written law. So she brings out the written law from into actuality, into revelation. But then this idea of the surrounding or the crown serving as the crown of her husband, this is because as we've been learning about before, we've already learned this. So this is a little bit, it should be a review for you guys at this point that above What's above Chochmah, which again, Chochmah is the wisdom from which the written Torah is sourced. Above that is Keter, is this this attribute of Keter, which is where the will comes from, and pleasure too, which is the inner aspects of, of the Keter, as we spoke about. And the, the crown, and we, we can understand this physically because the crown surrounds the brain on the head, right? Like, where do you wear a crown? You wear a crown on your head. So the crown, quite literally and metaphorically, is above the head. And this is why now we can understand why the halachos, the different Torah laws, are actually called crowns or kitra shel Torah, the crown of the Torah. And somebody who is, uh, and, and it's it's taught that somebody who learns specifically halachos, Jewish law, then they uh, then it's promised to them that they will have a share in the world to come, because uh, through. Because what they're doing is, again, like through learning Torah law, what you're doing is you're really vesting your soul, all three aspects of your soul, your nefesh, ruach, and neshama, in the supernal world above, as we spoke about. We spoke about that in previous episodes. So that's the end of the section. So just to reiterate this and kind of bring it together. So the basic idea is that we have the written Torah. That's the father. That's the chokhmah, the wisdom. Then we have the oral Torah. That's the mother. That's the elaborations, the elucidations on the written Torah. But the amazing thing about the oral Torah is it's not just elaborations and elucidations of the written Torah. It has something else going on to it also. It contains within it the ability to surround the written Torah, meaning to go above the written Torah and tap into something that's even higher than the written Torah by serving as the crown for the written Torah, and that's through the laws that are inherent, that are that are spoken about. 
in the oral Torah in a, in a more explicit way. And so this allows for the oral Torah to tap into the crown, into the will of God, which is above God's Chochmah, which is why it's so powerful when we learn God's law, when we learn the laws of the Torah, this allows our souls to get vested in this power and this will of God and to, uh, to really connect to this level of the will of God. So that's it for today. And we will continue tomorrow when we begin a new epistle. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Abraham Yitzchak ben Benyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.